I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And who is the real domestic enemy in the great United States of America? Is it Joe Biden? And I'll give you some reason to believe that both Democrats and Republicans believe that. Or is it Republicans who are investigating corruption? And there's at least one dimwit Democrat member of Congress who actually called it out, calling Republicans domestic enemies in the United States. Well, hey, they're getting desperate right now. They've got a failing president, they're failing on Capitol Hill, and they're failing with the American public and popular opinion. So they got a lot, uh, they got a lot working against them. Not much going in their favor right now. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to have you with me on what we like to call Conspiracy Theory Thursday. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it happens right here every single day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our Twitter poll. We've got a brand-new question uh, out of the news of the day every day. And this one, this one's interesting. This one came from one of my producers, Mackenzie. I got a great team working with me, Donovan and Mackenzie and Joel. And we'd both seen the same story because great minds think alike. But consider this. Should airlines offer customers of size, the polite terminology from the woke for fat people, a free extra seat on the plane or make them pay? I would argue for make them pay. And in fact, I've seen some some great things on Instagram. We do have an Instagram feed. But just to explain what's going on, Southwest Airlines, and I think they're a, they're a great airline. They usually cost less than other people. I tend to fly Alaska, but but Southwest does a good job. But guess what they've done? They want to be so politically correct that they have offered up their customer of size policy, which allows overweight passengers, fat passengers, to request, and I'm fat, so I can, I can use that term, to request a complimentary seat, a seat they don't have to pay for. And it forces their flight staff to accommodate these large flyers, even if that means kicking other people with actual tickets off a flight. Now, that's where they have completely jumped the shark. And I understand what's going on here. In fact, I can, I've told you before, but it's been a long time. Tina, my wife, and I were flying back from somewhere. It was probably a work event for me. But Tina came with me on a lot of uh, our, our remote broadcasts from around America. And we're getting on a plane, and we get back to our seats. We're way in the back end of the plane. We're not up front in first class, or this wouldn't have been an issue. But we usually flew coach almost all the time. And so we get back to our seats, and... Uh, and Tina goes to sit down next to a lady who's in the center seat, you know, three seats on each side of the aisle. And this lady is, let's say, a customer of size, about five foot nothing, probably 350 pounds. And she had raised the armrest and fully one third, almost one half of my wife's seat was taken up by this lady. And I said, ma'am, you're going to have to put that armrest down. She said, I can't. I don't fit. And I said, well, not my problem. I mean, I was being polite, but I said, you need to accommodate the room for us to sit down. 
You know, because if you don't fit in your seat, then that's a problem that you should solve. But it's not my problem. It's your problem. Now, if you find that hard-hearted, I don't. Listen, I'm a big guy, too. But I fit in my seat. If you don't fit in your seat, buy a second one. But what's going to happen now is Southwest Airlines is deciding for you. This customer is so big, he or she needs a second seat. And everybody else should pay for that seat because that's the, the net effect of this. If you tell people who happen to be big that they don't have to buy their own second seat, but that it'll be given to them free, free never means free when it comes to a business. The business will pass the cost on to others. Secondly, when this airline is telling people, even if you have a ticket, ticket, we may kick you off the plane to make room for somebody who needs two seats but didn't want to buy two seats. Now, I want to hear a naysayer, for example, to the show because we love the naysayers. I want to hear somebody explain to me why it is the job of average or less than average sized Americans who are flying on an airline to pay for the extra seat for somebody who's bigger than average and needs two seats. But in the meantime, you can vote in the Twitter poll, should airlines offer customers of size a free extra seat or make them pay for their own seat? I say make them pay. Today's Twitter poll, or X poll, uh, we've got to change the name, I guess, but uh, it, it's called both, and I, I know a lot of people are still calling it Twitter, as, as I am as well. Twitter or X, at Lars Larson Show. And also on our website at LarsLarson.com. But please only cast one vote. We are a conservative show, not a bunch of Democrats. So we don't believe in voting more than once. Uh, the Twitter poll or X poll question is brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in, so I joined many years ago. You can join too. Just go to AMAC.us. It is a great conservative group. Or you can call them, 888 AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. Now, in yesterday's poll question, do you believe that Hunter Biden is telling the truth when he says that his dad, Joe, has no ties to his business deals? I said no to that. So did 95% of you. And only 5% the naysayers said, oh, no, Hunter's telling the truth. Joe had nothing to do with Hunter Biden's business deals. Now, let me get back to domestic enemies, and then I'll get to your uh, calls as well at 866-439-5277. So who's the real domestic enemy? Well, if you listen to Democrat member of Congress Jasmine Crockett, if her name doesn't sound that familiar, well, there are 435 of them in the House of Representatives, so you can't memorize all of them unless you happen to be one of the people who works on Capitol Hill, and I don't. But take a listen to who she describes as the real enemies of America. And right now we know that they are continually trying to tear us down from within. When we swore our oath, we swore our oath to protect against enemies, foreign and domestic. And let me tell you something, those of us that serve on oversight, especially those of us that are specifically Democrats, I feel like we are constantly fighting domestic enemies and no one should feel that way. The American people should be outraged right now, outraged. 
Now, that's Jasmine Crockett, member of Congress. She apparently feels that if the people on the House Oversight Committee, you know, the ones who came up with all the bank records that show $24 million paid to the Biden crime family, that show the text messaging and the emails between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and the phone calls between Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's business partners, you know, so that all those deals could be set up to be so very lucrative that the Chinese communists were writing checks for millions. Burisma was writing checks checks for millions. Uh, Folks in Moscow and Kazakhstan were writing checks for millions to the Biden crime family, and that at least a portion of that money has already gone to Joe Biden, and his hands are as dirty as his son's hands are, that somehow Republicans and conservatives who believe that Joe Biden has committed bribery, which is an impeachable offense under the Constitution, and that he should be impeached, Heck, the House of Representatives, all the Democrats yesterday voted no on the impeachment of Joe Biden. Republicans voted yes. Now, which one do you think is the domestic enemies of the United States of America? I can tell you what I think. Glad to be with you. Always glad to take your calls. In a moment, we'll talk about Hunter Biden's latest indictments for his criminal conduct. But has the Justice Department ignored one major charge that could implicate Papa Joe? We'll talk about that next on the Lars Larson Show. Ronald Reagan knew better, do you? All of it began the first time some of you who know better and are old enough to know better let young people think that they had the right to choose the laws they would obey as long as they were doing it in the name of social protest. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Well, now Hunter Biden is facing a bunch of charges. Three felonies related to guns, three felonies related to tax and a bunch of misdemeanors as well. I thought we'd talk about that with Hans von Spakowski, who's a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and a good friend of the show, and we decided to get him out of his lane, which is usually talking about uh, election fraud and things like that. How are you, Hans? Lars, I'm doing just fine, thanks. And and Merry Christmas in advance. But let me ask you about this, because uh, you've suggested the Justice Department finally has this indictment against Hunter Biden, one that charged him with nine felony and misdemeanor violations in federal tax law, But there's something missing from that that's very significant because of its ties back to 1600 Pennsylvania, isn't it? Yeah. uh, Before addressing that, we should point out, yeah, these are serious charges, but they're only going after him for four years worth of evading taxes. He actually evaded taxes for an additional two years. But because of either the stupidity or incompetence of the Justice Department lawyers assigned to this, they allowed the statute of limitations to lapse. But they couldn't charge him for those other two years. Now, hold on, but Hans. I got I got to yeah. stop you, Hans. Have you left one option out? The stupidity, stupidity, and incompetence. Lots of that in government. Is there a third choice that the special well, counsel deliberately allowed the statute of limitations on many of those crimes elapse? Uh, yes, unfortunately, that is a third option, and uh, that's a real possibility given the way. All these uh, lawyers and others inside the Justice Department tried to make the Hunter Biden investigation go go away. But but on top of that, and that's important to understand when you realize what's missing 
and the latest indictment. Um, look, very clearly, because the indictment lays it out, Hunter Biden was representing these foreign uh, country uh, uh, companies, foreign entities, getting paid millions and millions of dollars for it. And why was he representing them? They hired him in order to have him use his contacts in the federal government, including his father, uh, on their behalf. That fits him squarely within federal law, what's called FARA, the Foreign, foreign Agent Registration Act. And if you're acting as a representative for a foreign com- uh, a company like that, you've got to register with the Justice Department. And if you don't, it's a felony. And it- other folks... Yeah, it's not an onerous, but it's not an onerous requirement, is it? No, no. I mean, for for anybody who's a lawyer who says, I want to represent North Korea or who are they want want to represent? It's it's not hard to do it. It's regular course of business. And there's only one reason he wouldn't want to do it, because it would immediately have brought him to public to greater public attention and and cemented the uh, the connection between Hunter Biden and the foreign entity. And then if you said, well, who is it that Hunter Biden knows in Washington, D.C., where he might be able to pull a favor or two for uh, for Beijing or for Kazakhstan or or for Burisma or or for Moscow? And, And the answer is one person in particular. Right. Right. No, that's exactly right. And look, the Justice Department has gone after others. For example, there's a, uh, another uh, business, I like guess called Blue Star, that he was working with, Hunter Biden was working with, uh, representing Burisma, the Ukrainian energy company. And they quickly registered once the Justice Department threatened them after the, the FARA law. And there's another uh, individual, a guy uh, named Gull uh, Lift, I think, who actually represented the very same Chinese energy company that um, uh, was paying Hunter Biden. And they already filed felony charges against him for violating the FARA Act. So so where is it? Are they, what are they going to do? Allow the statute of limitations to run on that, too? Well, and the other I want to ask you about another piece of this, too, that's because you're a lawyer and I'm not. But if when they brought this indictment, they say, OK, Hunter Biden cheated on the tax. So you had all this money and he didn't pay taxes on it. And I would have thought it would have been routine to say, here's where he got the money. I mean, everybody remembers famously Al Capone was taken down on taxes, not for murder and all the other right. crimes he almost certainly committed. Uh, but you, but wouldn't it be routine for a prosecutor to say, Here's where the money came from, and here's where the money went to. But they left both of those pieces off as though they could just talk about somehow money suddenly appeared to Hunter Biden somehow from somewhere, and he didn't pay taxes on it. Not where it came from, not where it went to. And that seems that seems deliberate as well. Yeah, particularly the part about where it went to. I mean, we all know where it came from, Burisma, uh, the Chinese energy company, but where did it go? And that's an important uh, defect in this, particularly given the latest information that we've gotten from the House Committee, who's been investigating this, who, as you know, for example, has tracked some of the money coming in being laundered through several of the shell corporations that the Biden set up and eventually ending up in the bank account of Joe Biden. Well, and, and I want to ask you something else. 
it seems to me that all these, a lot of the monies where Joe Biden's name is actually on the back of the check, signing it and cashing it, $250,000, $240,000 at least, is said to be, well, that was repayment for a loan. I mean, if I could get away, Hans, with working for somebody and say, just label the payment you make to me a loan repayment. And, and then when the IRS comes to me and says, you have to pay tax on those incomes, you say, no, no, he, they were just paying me back for a loan I made to them at some point, somewhere with no paperwork at all, no, no nothing to prove the loan existed. They were paying me back for a, a loan. That is, that seems like such a transparent dodge. And of course, the Dodger is none other than Joe Biden. So what do they do with that piece of it? When the Biden family says somehow this guy who only made you know, 150, $175,000 a year as a senator, a bit more as VP and a bit more as president now, somehow had hundreds of thousands of dollars that he was loaning to members of his family without paperwork or anything else. And they, when they got big checks from China, just said, Hey, Joe, remember that 200 grand you loaned me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sending you a check to pay back, pay back the money you loaned to me. Well, if it was you or me, instead of Joe Biden, the IRS would be investigating us for evading taxes by not listing income we had received. And they would be saying to us, uh, what documentary evidence that do you have that this was a loan? Usually when a, bi- a loan that big is extended, even to a family member, there's a written document about it. And obviously, there's nothing like that here. No. And so, and I understand they have a, it's more of a policy than a law. You can't charge a sitting president. I get that. But you can make him an unindicted co-conspirator and you could charge him after his term in office, which apparently the DOJ is great at charging former presidents. They've been doing a lot of it lately, but, but they're protecting Joe Biden. And is there any good reason for doing that? No, I I don't think so. And look, here's something else for people to keep in mind. And this is very important, because as you know, uh, the House voted to open up an impeachment inquiry this week. Uh, Ever since then, Democrats have been claiming falsely that there is no evidence that Joe Biden financially benefited from this. Okay, let's assume for just a second, hypothetically, that that's true. That doesn't get him off. if he used his official position to benefit his family so that they were enriched, that is an impeachable offense. It's not only, it's unethical to do that. That would be the same as if the Attorney General of the United States um, directed people in his department to make a grant to a member of his family. Yeah, maybe he personally didn't get the money, but a member of his family, um, him using his physical position to get that money to a member of his family, that's the way to look at it. And that itself is an impeachable offense. Absolutely. As well as bribery, somebody had to remind me the other day. Not just high crimes and misdemeanors, but bribery. What was Joe Biden being paid money for and why was his family getting money? It was a bribe from foreign companies and foreign countries. That's Hans von Spakowski from the Heritage Foundation, and this is The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Calling 
all men and the people who love them. Elon Musk sums up America's government. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails, which I want to do first. But in a moment, after I take some calls, uh, and you're welcome to call anytime you want, uh, disturbing images of children with pizza are being sold for thousands of dollars on the e-commerce site Etsy. Are those kids being trafficked on that platform? Let me tell you about that in just a moment. First, to your calls. And if you want to jump into the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And I, I'm guessing that James is calling in because of our Twitter poll question. Southwest Airlines has decided to afford a customer of size policy that allows overweight passengers to ask for and get uh, a complimentary seat, a free-of-charge seat, at the expense of everybody else on the plane and even at the expense of kicking other people off the plane who have tickets to fly on the plane. And I said, should airlines make customers of size uh, uh, a free seat offer or make them pay? And I voted make them pay. So, James, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, uh, I tried to. I, I was flying across the Pacific Ocean. I'm not going to mention the name of the airline. You can if you want. It was so small, my bone structure would not fit in the seat. Your what bones. do you do with that one? Well, I, I don't know. My I bone mean, structure I, is sixteen point two nine inches, and and, and the I've seat measured was fourteen and a half. I actually put a tape across. I thought I thought airline seats came closer to twenty inches, but you know maybe you should <laughs> mention the airline because there are some airlines. Uh, there are some. I think Spirit is one of them that I just, I mean, they, they jam the seats in together. But if the average seat is built for the average Americans, uh, for the average American, uh, if you're on an airplane where the seats were smaller between the armrests than 16 inches, is that okay. what you're telling me? Are they? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. 14 and a half inches. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe you should mention, I mean, because I've never been in an airplane with seats that small. That's two and a half inches bigger than a foot. That's that's nothing. I know. Well, and so now you're talking about a, a, a sort of a different issue. Have you ever had that problem happen on any airplane that flies routine domestic flights in America? Uh, no. Okay. Except I take that back. I have had the, the, the extremely, you know, the, the cut rate budget airlines are, you know, they pack in there like sardines. Yeah, they do. And and sometimes front to back as well as side to side, right? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Well, because, I look, they said uh, one major network report in the last five years, the average seat width was 18 inches, now it's 16 and a half, which, as you said, if you're 16, if your bones, if, the, say, your hip bones are 14 or 16 and a half inches across, uh, that, but, I, you know, to some extent, I don't know why, or whether there'd be an advantage to an airline in making especially skinny seats because the the usual arrangement for most airplanes, most commercial airplanes, uh, is is three seats on one side, three on the other, unless you're in first class or business or something like that. Well, if you have three Correct. seats on each side and they're 18 inches wide and you manage to drop them by an inch and a half, 
you're gaining four and a half inches on the left and four and a half on the right. It's not enough to make one more seat. Might make the aisle a yeah, little that, bigger. That, yeah, but you're assuming. You, yeah, but you're in a narrow body plane. You're not in a wide body. Right. Right. Oh yeah. See, I, I was flying Trans Pacific, which is you know that was a seven forty seven wide body, and they were putting ten seats across in that thing. Ah. Okay. Trans Pacific yeah. is it and, an Asian airline? It is, yes. And and do you think? I mean, I hate to say this, but do you think that they're basing that on the average width of the average backside of the average person in Asia? That's what I'm. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. So they're packing in ten seats. They are. So they need to. They need to accommodate the larger U.S. size. Yeah, they do. Uh, they absolutely do. But let's go back to the. I, I'm curious about your take on on Southwest saying we're going to offer a free seat to somebody who's oversized and needs more than one seat, should that come at the fat flyer's expense or at the expense of yes, everybody else? Should. Okay. No, yeah. no, it should. Because Southwest seats are 19 and a half inches wide. So that's actually generous. That's an inch and a half it wider is. than it, average. Yeah. Right, yeah, and I know that because I go to this website that tells you the width of every seat in every airline. Wow, they have websites for everything, don't they? Well, uh, and they I do. appreciate your point. I, I guess I just, I understand that people will say, I'm fat shaming. Look, I'm fat myself, okay? I, I've, so gotten a little skin, I've gotten skinnier over the years because of type 2 diabetes and, and being more sensible, I guess. But, but when I see people say, I'm big, you have to accommodate me. Uh, no, I don't think we do. And I think when an airline I I... then, go ahead. I wholeheartedly agree with you on that because you got that way by you got the bent elbow disease yeah, a lot of I, times. Well, uh, I didn't get it by drinking. I got it by eating. I got it by no. It's not doing <laughs> enough push. It's it's the push up you have to do where you push yourself back from the table. And I was just telling there my granddaughter oh, yes. the, the other day. We always say you got to finish yep. your vegetables, right? But but we also yep. say don't ever feel compelled to eat everything on your plate. Although. She's just getting up toward eight, and I told, we've been telling her all along that, that the rule that we, that I have, that grandpa has, is take all you want and eat all you take. Cause I can't tell you, when I was a kid, I was broken of a habit very quickly when my parents said, okay, you filled that whole plate with spaghetti out of the bowl because everybody was serving themselves. You're going to eat it. And, and I yep. said, hold on. I don't want to eat all that. They said, the next time take less. Um, because otherwise, you just shovel out a bunch of food that will never be eaten. And my parents didn't have a lot of money. My dad was a forest ranger. My mom stayed home with me. So, you know, he never had a big paycheck. But their their attitude was, once you can decide what's on your plate, put as much as you want on there, and you're going to eat yep. all of it. So if you're tempted yep. to, you know, <laughs> put half the spaghetti bowl onto your plate, uh, you're going to be eaten till uh, till late in the evening, uh, I would imagine. Let's go to uh, George. Hey, George, you called in about something we talked about extensively because the Supreme Court took it up this week: the abortion pills. What's your take? Yeah, they keep. Uh, I keep hearing commercials. Uh, 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 I mean, uh, news media talk about the abortion pill and say that it's a safe pill. And it's what not. I'm wondering is, how can you possibly call the abortion pill safe? 
when its purpose is to kill a human being every time that it's taken. Because almost everybody who works in TV newsrooms, and believe me, I've worked in TV newsrooms, everybody in there is liberal. They're, the conservatives are a minority in TV newsrooms. But the second thing that they're ignoring is when you heard the numbers probably yesterday that we told you that of the young ladies who take the abortion pill, about one in ten ends up in the emergency room. She doesn't die, but she gets very, 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 very uh, uh, ill, ill enough to go to the emergency room. That's an indication that that's it's not only not safe, of course, for the baby that's being killed, but it's also not safe for the young lady who's taking the pill to kill that baby. Let's go to Darren in Michigan listening on WILS. Hey, Darren, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Uh, well, Lars, good to talk to you again. Uh, Thank I you. was just wondering, you know, I have not um, a ton, but I've logged into my... I don't recall, like, the armrest between feet uh, being, like, where he could lift it out of the way for our large friend. Uh, Has, hasn't always hasn't always been the case. In fact, I can remember airline seats a long time ago where there was sort of a, a hard barrier and you couldn't lift it out of the way, but they do now. Oh, okay. So uh, I guess Chris Christie could get a seat. <laughs> I think Chris Christie needs three seats. Yeah. Well, hey, uh, he's, he's got a pass. I'll donate. Not. Yeah, not, not. Thank you very much. I appreciate the call. Back in just a moment, we're going to talk about whether or not we can trust the federal government to be fair and impartial when they actually compete with those of us in the private sector. should act as an overseer, a service provider, only intervening when absolutely necessary. And yet, what happens when the referee not only officiates, but becomes one of the players in the game? That uh, idea has been posed by our friend Seton Motley, president of Less Government. Seton, welcome back to the program. Howdy, sir. How are you? I'm doing fine. I wish the government was limited to simply doing those things that the private sector won't or can't do and otherwise stay out of the private sector altogether. But they never seem to be able to resist that temptation, do they? Well, are there, for, all, for those of us who are old, there's a, there, they used to be called the Yellow Pages Rule, which, of course, for people who are young, there used to be a Yellow Pages phone book. White, pa white pages were for residences. Yellow Pages were for businesses. And that was before you could look them all up on the Internet. And the yellow page rule was if you could find it in the yellow pages, the government shouldn't do it. Yep. Which means if there's, a, if there's businesses in the yellow pages that are doing something, the government should stay out. I used the referee analogy, and I said I used, I used the uh, expression swallow the whistle, meaning don't blow the whistle, meaning leave us alone, leave the game. Let, the, let us play the game and don't inter, inter, intercede is quite so much. And it's bad enough, of course, we've talked about this for years, how completely out of control as a referee the government is. Now, what I was referring to in the article was when it also becomes a player. And there's all kinds of examples of that. The government, like in healthcare, um, Obamacare, Medicare, Medicaid, the VA, all are the, the uh, people who are supposed to be regulating the industry, hopefully not very much also playing as a player in the game. And that's a problem. We have it with, for example, 
I've written a lot about this because it's, it's just such a pet peeve of mine. The, we've, everyone in the United States has been connected to the Internet since 2015. Since that time, we've wasted over $200 billion having the government pretend to be Internet providers to people that already have Internet. Um, and the, the thing I wrote about in this article is, of course, and this is, I, I don't think anybody's really looked at it through this prism. The government sets the interest rates. We've been talking about this a lot because, of course, they've raised the interest rates repeatedly over the last 18 months to try to offset their idiotic printing of money and overspending. Yep. And what's not connected enough in my mind in the media and in the discussion is the biggest borrower on the planet earth is the federal government who was also setting the interest rates well that's a bit of a problem because they're going to manipulate things to their advantage at the expense of everyone well and 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 by the way seaton for a private sector player usually the government will come in and say well you can't be involved in that because you have a dog in the fight so the government will lecture the private sector saying we can't allow you to be in that area because because you have a you know, you get a benefit out of setting those numbers or, or you know, setting any of right. those factors. And and then the government comes along and says, but we can do it because, of course, you can trust us. We're from the government. And of course, the manipulation is quite obvious, first and foremost, to the benefit of the government itself. When, when, when borrowing money, everybody gets in line to borrow money, and the, the government has made it so that they're first in line before anybody else can borrow money for their businesses uh, or their personal needs. The government gets to service their debt. Um, and then, of course, you have cronyism, too, where the biggest banks are bribing the government for favorable policies. uh, that benefit them at the expense of everyone else. And, of course, the government borrowing first hurts everybody else. The government manipulating the situation, they raise interest rates because they owe so much money, and so they raise interest rates to cheapen their debt. Because, of course, uh, you know, a trillion dollars, you know, $34 trillion is worth less if the money is worth worth less. But, of course, that damages everybody else who's trying to save for retirement or buy gas or buy groceries, but it benefits the government. Then, of course, they beat the head over the economy because they can by, you know, with, the, with the raised interest rates, and that hurts everybody. I mean, it's just it's completely fraudulent because they're the ref, meaning they set the rates, and the player, they're borrowing the money. Well, and in fact, let, let me give you a half billion dollar, or actually $1.6 trillion example. You know, Obama decided we're going to take all these student loans and we're going to bring them inside the government. And we right. thought, well, okay, I, I don't like that idea either. I don't think the government's very efficient as a bureaucracy. Banks have to be efficient as a bureaucracy because their bottom line depends on it. So you've got people constantly in, in private sector institutions like banks saying, we have to make things efficient. And, and the government doesn't because they get paid the same whether they get the job done or not. You know, they're getting they're getting the same paycheck. And so when they but they, when they brought it all in, I didn't see the trick that was coming, which was, oh, once we've grabbed all these loans, we'll just decide to politically uh, forgive them. Right. You know, as a well, political and, and, favor. And, and, and you didn't see that because not that I'm bragging, but at the time when there was insourcing it, I immediately said, oh, if you do three years of, you know, 
left-wing social services will will forgive your student loan debt. Yep. I knew they were going to use it in some form or fashion. And, and, and frankly, course, one of the reforms I'd love to see, Seton, if, if, if you had to go to a bank or any other kind of institution and borrow your money for school, they'd say, oh, what are you going to study? Oh, I'm going to study uh, left-wing uh, underwater basket weaving. they say, well, yeah, there's not many jobs at that. You aren't going to be able to pay the loan back the way they would to somebody seeking a small business loan. Hi, I'd like to right. open an automotive shop, or I'd like to open a coffee shop. Okay, What's where's your the business, business plan? What's your yep. yeah, yeah? Where's yeah, where's the money going to come from? And if you can't satisfy the bank, you don't get the loan. If they did that with student loans, um, then they'd be safer uh, because the bank would say we're only making loans to people who are going to get an education that actually leads to a job that has the ability to pay it back. The government doesn't have to give a damn about that. No, and and of course they they sometimes intentionally set out to fund things they know don't work. Hello, green energy. Um, about ten years ago, I dated a girl who was a black girl who was PhD candidate in African American studies, and I asked her. I, first of all, it's such a the colleges are such a scam. You know, I, you know, I've been saying colleges for dummies for twenty years on your show or fifteen years on your show. Yes, but, you have. It's such a scam because all, all the entire, like there was one class where she had five books assigned in the class. They were all written by the teacher. So you had to buy the teacher's <laughs> books. And then I, I asked her, I said, if, if, okay, you graduate, you get your PhD in this area of study, and then all the colleges close. What do you do with it? And she said, no, I realize the only, it's a closed circle. You learn it to teach it. That's and then you teach it to people who will learn it to teach it. It does sound like a crazy circle. That's Seton Motley from Less Government, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Okay, it's a nice ride. It's going to happen. Stand by playback. And now, Lars. <laughs> Meet Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and I've got one for you that actually comes closer to what I think is going to happen. If you've noticed the uptick, not in Islamophobia. I know Karine Jean-Pierre at the White House keeps trying to sell that line that, oh, my goodness, we've seen such a giant increase in that. No, it's attacks on Jewish people in America. And that seems to be a much bigger problem. But, of course, the White House can't admit that. But consider this. German authorities on Thursday in Germany, so uh, that day's already passed for them, detained four alleged members of a Hamas terrorist organization suspected of planning to attack Jewish institutions in Germany. Now, that's the first suggestion that the Gaza conflict may be spilling out beyond the Middle East. I think the Wall Street Journal is absolutely right about that. And it sounds like our American authorities have done nothing more. Christopher Ray at the FBI and all that. Um, they haven't done anything more than say, yep, that's probably going to be a problem here. 
Gee, we've got millions of people flowing across our southern border, many of them from almost every other corner of the world, including fighting-age Chinese males, uh, fighting-age Middle Eastern males. And then you think maybe we'll have that same kind of activity going on here. Here's the detail on that WSDA uh, Wall Street Journal report. The, uh, they, they apparently found a cache of weapons that the organization had assembled in the past. The weapons were brought to Berlin until they could be used in a possible attack against some as yet unnamed Jewish institutions in Europe. The arrest marked the first time since the start of the Gaza war that authorities claimed to have uncovered a Hamas terrorist plot to target Europe. Do you think America's on the list for Hamas? I can virtually guarantee it. In any case, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on a Thursday. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every single day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line if you disagree with my point of view at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our Twitter poll this one actually spurred a lot of replies by email and by phone calls. Should airlines offer customers of size, the polite, politically correct terminology for fat flyers, a free extra seat or make them pay? I would say make them pay. And that free extra seat, do you know what? It comes at the expense of everybody else who flies on the plane. I mean, the math on that is easy. If you got an airplane, that holds, say, 200 people, and you have to give away 10 seats. You have to give away 5% of the seats to the people who are plus size. Those seats will not generate revenue. That means the revenue has to come from somebody else, and the somebody else is everybody else who flies on that airline. Now, under this new policy, Southwest says that any overweight customer who asks for a complimentary seat is going to be accommodated, even if they have to kick other paying passengers who have tickets for that flight off the flight. Under that policy, customers whose body sizes encroach past the armrest are entitled entitled to an extra seat at additional cost. It also says that passengers have the option of buying just one seat and then discussing your seating needs with a customer service agent at the gate. If it's determined that a second or, and they even ask to add this, a third seat is needed, you will be accommodated with a complimentary additional seat. The flight team will then look at the seating arrangement, which are not predetermined on Southwest. That potentially means that other passengers will be moved around for an unplanned accommodation. In other words, the person who is plus size doesn't have to do anything. They don't have to say I think I'm going to need two seats. I should book two seats. I should pay for two seats. If you need three seats, then you should buy three seats. Instead, you get to push your problem, which is a problem with your body size, onto everybody else. Now, does anybody think that's reasonable? Should airlines offer customers of size a free extra seat or make them pay? 
I voted for Make Them Pay. You can vote any way you like at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in, and I joined the group a long time ago. You can join, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Yesterday, I asked you this question. Do you believe that Hunter Biden, do you believe him when he says that Joe Biden had no ties to Hunter Biden's business deals? 95% of you joined me in voting no on that question. Only 5% of you voted yes. I would love to talk to the naysayers on that one and say, what makes you believe that Hunter Biden had no involvement with his dad when we now know his dad got money. He got money from China, communist China. We know that his dad joined him in golf outings. Uh, he joined him in meeting with business associates at restaurants. There were text messages that went back and forth. There were phone calls that went back and forth. And that Hunter Biden and his dad exchanged tens of thousands of emails over a secret, not secret anymore, but secret email um, name that Joe Biden was using. He actually had three different names. And it makes you wonder, why in the world does a president or a senator or a vice president need a secret email account? Because he's up to no good. Coming up this hour, has the government been illegally handing out your hard-earned tax dollars to abortion centers, despite the fact that the Hyde Amendment prohibits exactly that? If a company is hiring for a physical job, should athletic workers be banned from consideration? We'll get into that strange story. What is the swearing in of a liberal school board member on a stack of banned LGBTQ books tell you about their agenda for your kids if you happen to live in that district? And, of course, take a moment to cast a vote in our Twitter poll at LarsLarson.com and at LarsLarsonShow on X or Twitter. Uh, shout out to our friends in Indianola, Mississippi, who listen to Great Talk Radio on WTCD. That's FM 96.9. And, of course, you can find my show there as well. Glad to get your calls at 866-439-5277. Interesting development for Disney which most days of the week is a very woke company. It turns out that 9,000 women say Disney has been paying the men more to do the same job that those women are doing for less. So a judge last Friday certified a class action lawsuit that alleges that Disney paid 9,000 women less than their male counterparts. So Disney that tries to push indoctrination, so much so that the mouse is no longer allowed in the Larson household, and I suspect from your emails, a lot of your homes as well. But Disney, it seems, doesn't pay women as well as it pays men for doing the same job. And also this, uh, this was terribly concerning to me when I saw that Chinese officials had offered a $15 million bribe to a member of Taiwan's military to steal a transport helicopter, one made in the United States, bought by Taiwan. The Chinese wanted to steal that helicopter, and they tried to bribe a lieutenant colonel with 15 million bucks and offered to relocate his family. Well, guess what? He got caught, he's under arrest, and the Chinese plot is foiled. Coming up in a moment, should companies whose employees do physical work be banned from hiring athletic workers? We'll get to that with our friend Bob Barr in just a moment. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show.
listen to an interview again, check out LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on what we call Conspiracy Theory Thursday. And it's always great to welcome back Bob Barr, currently the first vice president of the board of the NRA. Far more important job than when he was a member of Congress or at the CIA as an analyst. How are you doing, Bob? I'm doing fine. I'm not going to uh, disagree with you. I'm really looking forward to uh, finishing out my term as first vice president and then taking over as president at their annual uh, convention next spring. That sounds great. Now, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lobby you. I'm not a registered lobbyist, but with the NRA, I don't have to register as a lobbyist like I would if I was lobbying you as a member of Congress. I think the NRA should have a radio row. Now, the SHOT Show that goes on in uh, late January, early February has Radio Row. There are a bunch of events where you get a bunch of talk show hosts to come and uh, and do their show from the big NRA meeting. And I've, I've tried to sell the idea to the NRA a, not, a lot of times just because I'd like to go. And I'd like to be able, be able to have access to some of the people who attend that um, and, and put them on the radio show. But uh, they've never been willing to do it, so so that's where we sit right now. So that's my piece of lobbying for the day. Well, you're you're talking to the right guy. Uh, I listen. I've been to a lot of organizational uh, conventions, like the American Conservative Union, over the years, yep. and they do that as well. So I know, I think it's a great idea, and I will lobby on your behalf. Absolutely, I appreciate that, Bob. Now, tell me this: What is this about companies whose employees do physical work, but they're being banned from hiring athletic workers? It's it's absolutely bizarre, and if it weren't that we're in the year 2023 with an administration that is a socialist by any measure, it would be a joke, but it isn't. Uh, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC, which has nothing to do with opportunity, it has everything to do with nannyism, they have actually sued a moving company out in California, Fresno, California, if I'm not mistaken, because this moving company advertises for and hires young men and women who are strong, agile, and motivated. And the EEOC, in its infinite wisdom, Lars, has decided that this is age discriminatory because advertising for strong, agile, and and it's hard to say without laughing, advertising for strong, agile, and motivated workers discourages older Americans from applying. So they have actually sued this company uh, to, uh, you know, and and they're they're moving to fine them millions of dollars for this. It's so, unbelievable, but it yeah, is believable. And, and what's crazy about this is, Bob, I would imagine there's a certain amount of self-selection, which is if you're a moving company and you advertise for workers, the people who are more likely to see the ad and say, I'm going to go uh, uh, check out this job. I'm six. I'm I'm not, but I'm six five and I weigh two twenty five and I'm strong as an ox. You think, okay, good job for a for a guy to work for a moving company. You know, the ninety eight pound weakling that gets sand kicked in his face at the beach is not going to do as well at a moving <laughs> company. But 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 now the company can't even make it clear we really need strong athletic people who want to be able to you know come do our job. We'll send you a paycheck and you can drop your gym fees. No, they, they, they can't, at least without running the risk of being sued by the federal government. 
Uh, and the AARP, which used to be called the American Association of Retired Persons, but now they're just AARP because they decided you know, that the term retired was too limiting for their membership. They have actually joined in this and uh, are saying, oh, this company is uh, using inappropriate stereotypes, and this is harmful for uh, senior citizens. It is uh, the age discriminatory. I mean, it's just nonsense, but this is where we are. And there are, are other examples. You've probably seen them. I've seen them. I put a couple in the article that I wrote. But this is where our, our government is going. And it caused me, Lars, to remember back in 1972, <laughs> yep. uh, 50 years ago, uh, there was a uh, made-for-TV movie by Kurt Vonnegut, Jr., the very interesting writer, called Between Time and Timbuktu. Yep. And one of the scenarios in that show was that because some people were stronger than others, they had to wear weights on their shoulders to handicap them so they couldn't be any stronger than anybody else. No, and in fact, I I'm glad you reminded me of that because, Bob, over the years I've made reference. There was a story Vonnegut wrote called, uh, you know, Harrison Bergeron. And, and in it, I thought one of the best character names I'd ever seen, because we have the Attorney General, we have the Surgeon General, and in Vonnegut's story, they had the Handicapper General. And I remember that uh, one of the things they did in this, no, they, they did, and they said, so if you were this beautiful prima ballerina, you had to wear a mask because that would hide your beauty because you weren't allowed to have that advantage, and you had to wear weights on your, you know, weight suits, uh, to, so that you couldn't be athletic, and and then you had to have springs attached so that your arms and legs, you know, you can imagine the really good ballet dancer, male or ballerina, female, you know, and their the graceful movements and all that. So they put handicaps, physical devices on these people, so they they walked, you know, like 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 Joe Biden walks right now, and you say because nobody's allowed to to be physically accomplished, to be smooth and graceful, and all those things. And the person who enforced all this on behalf of the federal uh, the government in 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 uh, Vonnegut's story was the handicapper general. His job was to go out and and handicap everybody so that everybody would be the same. Yeah, and that's that's what uh, Vonnegut wrote about and what this movie was about 50 years ago. I remember in another scene, uh, individuals who had a higher IQ than others had to wear these headphones that screeched in their ears all the time so that they couldn't think. Uh, and now we have the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. I love that uh, that uh, phrase, uh, which has become uh, you know Biden's handicapper enforcement uh, arm. I mean, well, and how is it was this funny back in the 1970s. Now it's real. Yeah, but how do any of these bureaucrats, these apparatchiks, do they ever stop and say, how is this, how does this end up producing good for society? Me meaning that if the government is, I, I would like to think of the government as a service provider and that we can, you know, demand, serve us. Uh, but, but how does this benefit anybody? If the moving company can't overtly ask for big, strong people, men or women, to show up and be movers, chances are they're going to get a lot of people who are physically capable who show up as movers. But then what do they do with the person who is physically not as capable, you know, who, who isn't tall and strong and all those things that are required for the, the job of moving heavy things as part of a moving company? Do you just you know, park them out there with a paycheck and say, do whatever you can? Because that, that, does, that seems insulting to that employee 
And then to tell the other employees, the ones that are 6'5 and 225 and can lift anything, um, you're telling them you're getting the same paycheck as this person over there. That's an insult to them, and uh, it, it suggests an inequality that you've created artificially. Certainly it does, uh, but in, in their world, in Biden's world, in the liberals' world, this bizarre world in which they live, you don't define or they don't define good by production, by employment. They define good by everybody being equal uh, in everything, and if you're not, then you get demoted, and if you are, then you get a government paycheck. I mean, not a paycheck, but a government uh, uh, check. Uh, it's uh, And there have been studies, you've probably seen them also, Lars, that when government does these kind of things, like raise the minimum wage to hire more people, actually fewer people get hired because the companies have to make up that uh, that extra cost somewhere, and they aren't able to hire as many people. Uh, it, it, it's bad all around, but in the short-sighted view of the liberals in government, it's good because they are making everybody equal. They're lowering the standard for everybody rather than raising it for some. Unbelievable. Hey, Bob, thanks so much. We always appreciate your... I know we're going to talk to you again before then, but Merry Christmas in advance. Thank you to you and your listeners also, Lars. Thank, Thank you. you very much. That's Bob Barr, former member of Congress, former CIA analyst, and newly elected vice president of the board of the NRA and soon to be the president of the NRA. Coming up in a moment, liberal school board members in two states decided to virtue signal by saying we're not going to be sworn in on a Bible, but a stack of, they call it, banned books. I'll get into that story in your phone calls and emails at 866-439-5277. The Lars Larson Show. What? something on the Lars Larson Show? Check out posted interviews and podcasts at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I got to tell you about this weird thing that was going on in one of Pennsylvania's largest school districts, and it's some of the usual virtual signaling nonsense, where school board members said, we're not going to take the oath of office now that we've been elected to the school board on a Bible. And I want to talk about that for a moment. But first, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls. And, of course, naysayer calls always go to the head of the line. I love naysayers. We've done that for over a quarter century, and we absolutely love it when somebody calls in and actually puts up a spirited argument in opposition to my point of view. That's fine. I mean, I don't mind hearing it as long as you have your facts together, maybe bring a little bit of logic and uh and and uh, and a willingness to answer a couple of questions on my half on on my behalf as well if you don't mind 866-439-5277 that's 866 hey lars you can send an email instead talk at larslarson.com and of course you can vote in our twitter poll we put up a brand new poll question every day it spurred a lot of comment tonight should airlines offer customers of size fat flyers a free extra seat or make them pay i say make them pay and i'm not doing that out of being mean-spirited um you know i'm 
I've carried a lot of extra penalty weight in my life. I've lost a lot of it because of type 2 diabetes. Believe me, it's not the kind of diet you want to use, but it does work. Um, but if I took up more space than could be accommodated by one seat on an airplane, I think it's my job to buy the second seat or the third seat. But now Southwest Airlines says they're going to provide those seats free of charge to any customer who asks for them. Now, I have a feeling that now that they've announced this, you're going to see an awful lot of people who are going to game that system. And let me suggest to you one way it could happen. Uh, the height weight charts say I should weigh about 165. I'm 5'10". Uh, I, at one point, I'm ashamed to say, I weighed north of 250. I dropped about a bunch of weight. I'm now at about 182. But officially, according to the height weight charts, I am overweight. What is Southwest Airlines going to do? When somebody my size, or maybe even a little bit bigger, but certainly not somebody who could say, I have to have two seats, what are they going to do when somebody walks in and says, I am a customer of size, I would like to have the second seat that Southwest has said I am entitled to. Now, that's an important word, not just that it's a, a courtesy. They say that plus-size customers are entitled to a second seat. Would I like to have two seats to kind of, you know, spread out in on an airplane when I have to fly? Yeah. Would I like to get it without having to pay for it? Sure. Do I understand that I would suggest that customers of size who say it is the airline's job and the rest of my fellow passengers to pay for my second seat? I'd love to talk to that naysayer because I would suggest that is an immoral choice. You are saying because I'm bigger, you have to buy my seat. Now, I would suggest that when Southwest offers to engage in that kind of extortion, and it is extortion to say to all the customers, we want to sell you a ticket to fly on an airplane. We want you to buy one ticket. But if you need two tickets, you don't have to pay for the second ticket. We will make everybody else who flies on Southwest pay for that ticket for you. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see the airline say, look, everybody else can pay for your second seat. Here's how you do it. Show up at the airport, tell them you need two seats instead of one, and then have the flight attendant, the uh, customer service agent at the desk say, all you have to do is walk around the lobby here where all your other fellow passengers are and ask them if they're willing to pay for some of your second seat. And most people would say, well, I, I'm not going to do that. That would be humiliating. It would be rude. And people would turn me down. And the airline would say, yes, they would. So we're not going to do it for you. You need to do it for yourself. Now, does anybody see a problem with that? And I've heard all the arguments about, I can't help being overweight. I understand that for some people, it may be a medical condition. But I would say that for the vast majority of people, when I booked in at 250 or 252, wherever I topped out, it's embarrassing. But it was human. It was stupid. And whose fault was it? Mine. Could I have lost the weight? Yes. Have I lost the weight? A lot of it, yeah. I'm not going down to 165. I'm not going to be a skeleton. But on the other hand, could I have lost that weight without the incentive of type 2 diabetes? Absolutely, I could have done it. But I didn't because I didn't have to. And in this case, what the airline is saying is you don't have to do it. Anyway, 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you aren't stunned by the amount of crazy stuff that's going on in this country, then you're not like me.
Consider this. The new president of one of Pennsylvania's largest school districts has been sworn into office. She put her hand not on a Bible, but she put her hand on a stack of sexually explicit LGBTQ propaganda and banned books. The Daily Signal had the story. Democrat Karen Smith took up her new position Monday night as the head of the Central Bucks School District in Pennsylvania, immediately moved to undo a Republican-led pro-parent, pro-family set of policies. At the swearing-in ceremony, instead of placing her hand on a Bible, she put her hand on a stack of what they call banned books, including books like Flamer, All Boys Aren't Blue, Beyond Magenta, Lillian Duncan, The Bluest Eye, both Flamer and All Boys Aren't Blue feature explicit depictions of homosexual activity, as described by the Daily Caller, with the graphic novel Flamer, including illustrations of nude teenage boys both showering and doing other things. Uh, here's the thing. Those books are not banned. But every single school in the world decides which books will be on the shelves of its library, which books will be offered to kids in class, and which books will not. They are not banned books. But here's the question I'd have for Ms. Smith, if I could get an interview with her, and I'd love to talk to her. When you take an oath on a Bible, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I take that book very seriously. It is the single most popular book on planet Earth, and for a reason. Has been for better part of 1,800-plus years because it took a while to write it. It has 40 authors, 66 books, and I take, if I ever take an oath, and I've taken oaths in court when you're sworn in, you take an oath on a Bible, it means something, especially to Christians. What does it mean when you put your hand, your hand on a stack of these LGBTQ propaganda books? Does that actually mean anything to anyone? Just consider that question. Let's go to Al in Nevada, listening on the great KKFT. Hey, Al, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Thank you so much. I've called before, but yeah, about your question about um, the obesity issue is I used to weigh 650 pounds, so I know what it's like. Um, I used to always buy a second seat or fly red eye when I knew the seats weren't going to be. I never once asked anybody to pay for me because, as I told people, they're like, oh, you poor thing, it's a medical, it's probably, I don't know, medical conditions are less than 1%, so don't yep. give me that. Just yep. because in par just because in parents installed the buttons, I didn't have to keep pushing them. So I didn't, you know, I'm the one that ate the Krispy Kremes. I'm the one that <laughs> overate. And now I'm 210, and I still... Good for you. Don't blame me. And I don't, oh, I had gastric bypass 22 years ago. Um, I don't bl ever blame my parents. It's my choice. Once you make that choice to put that donut or whatever in your mouth, it's nobody else's problem but your own. And you're going to have to reap the consequences. And if that means, you know, buying two seats and buying two seats. I mean, I know the, I know the airlines are just going to write the loss off on their corporate taxes, but that's not fair to everybody else that, you know, who does the right thing and, wants to buy two seats or whatever, just wants a little extra room and buys two seats anyway. So, that makes yeah, perfect totally sense. Congratulations, Al, for doing it on your own, and congratulations for being honest. Back in a moment, we're going to talk to our friend John Solomon from Just the News about federal laws that prohibit the use of funds for abortion, and yet it's happening anyway.
robustly provocative talk radio. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and it's a real pleasure to take your calls, too, at 866-HEY-LARS. Not many naysayers tonight. I'm kind of surprised by that, especially on the airline seat that forms the basis of our Twitter poll question or X poll question. Should airlines offer customers of size a free extra seat or make them pay? In the case of Southwest Airlines, they're saying, you don't have to pay. Everybody else flying on the airplane, they have to pay for your extra seat. And does anybody think that's equitable? You can find the question on X or Twitter at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. Just go to AMAC.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better. Better for you and better for America. Glad to be with you. Uh, let me give you a couple of updates on a couple of stories that I want to put in front of you. Number one, the dream of owning a home in America, it is becoming more and more distant all the time. Of course, the Biden administration has done the most damage. Uh, interest rates on 30-year mortgages to buy homes actually peaked out a few weeks ago at 8%. They're now down to just below 7%. That is more than double what they were when Joe Biden came into office. Average monthly payments on a brand new home today, $3,322 in America. What was it when Joe Biden took office? Not quite three years ago, 1746 So a rise of over, almost, almost double is what the home payments have done. The United Kingdom could be brought to a halt at any moment by a large cyber attack. According to a joint committee on national security strategy, that is a concern. And of course, Hamas terrorists, four of them arrested in Germany just this week with a cache of weapons, apparently planning attacks, and America should be ready for that possibility as well. And then there was the incident on Wednesday morning. Dozens of pro-Palestinian protesters who blocked traffic on the uh, the 10 freeway in downtown Los Angeles. It was a traffic nightmare for thousands of motorists, and at least two school buses were trapped as well. And my question to the authorities would be, how long are you going to let this go on? Because I think it's going to get worse. I think we're going to see these so-called pro-Palestine protesters. They're not going to quit. In fact, they get an awful lot of attention. You might say, well, Lars, you're adding to the attention. I want it to be negative attention. If you block a federal freeway, I think the police should swoop in and charge you to the extent of the law, period. And there should be no quarter given. And I would apply the same to Antifa, to BLM, and to a number of other folks uh, who are staging these same kinds of attacks. As though America can have free speech all day long, and I think it's great. But nobody has the right to force you to listen to their point of view. And that seems to be the way that some of these groups have approached it. That if you won't listen to us voluntarily, we will trap you on a freeway. We'll trap you uh, when you're trying to drop your kids off at school. That's happened as well. And an awful lot of it is aimed against Jewish Americans. I'm not one, so I don't have a dog in the fight. But I'll stand up and defend them in any case. Pro-Palestinians... I got the funniest call from a young lady today who said, Lars, I'm worried about all these people who are being killed in, pa in Palestine. I said, where is that? And she said, what do you mean? I said, where's, where's the country, Palestine? 
And she said, well, you know where it is. I said, no, I don't. It's never existed. It doesn't seem likely to exist because the people who call themselves Palestinians have been offered a country about half a dozen times in the last hundred years, and they have always turned every single opportunity down. And why? Because they really don't want a state. What they want is they want Israel gone, and they want the population of Israel exterminated. And I'm not, I don't think a civilized world should tolerate that. Today's, uh, we're going to give a shout out to our friends in Buffalo, New York, where they listen to great talk radio all day on WHLD. That's AM 1270. And you can find my show there as well. Glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Oh, I'd mentioned, I'd meant to mention this a bit earlier, but I think there's a real question about Etsy. Now, does my wife go on Etsy? Sure. Have I gone on Etsy? Sure. Uh, Etsy is fine. It's It's got some interesting things on it. But a number of the listings on Etsy, according to Newsweek, featuring high price tags for photos of children, f- uh, featuring children, have now sparked a conspiracy theory, except I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. On Tuesday, photos were shared on X, formerly Twitter, showing images of children smiling as they held slices of pizza. One showed a girl winking at the camera, and we've talked about this connection before. There's a lot of slang that is used among pedophiles. Uh, and if you look at some of the uh, charging documents and affidavits in cases involving child pornography, you find that they don't call it child porn. They use other kinds of terminology to camouflage what they're doing. One shows a girl winking at the camera. Another one shows a young girl winking and poking her tongue out. In the screenshots, they hold prices of $4,000 for a photograph like that. Another one showed a picture of two whole pizzas sitting side by side. That one cost $9,000. Now, do you wonder why there isn't a conspiracy theory about this? Because of some of the terminology that is used by people in child trafficking, Some of those photos come with price tags as high as $32,000, all of that. And uh, they had one that was listed at twenty grand on Etsy, Forever Young Pizza. Can anybody explain this? I don't think they can. I think some of this is happening right out in plain view. People don't understand that when they're involved in that kind of evil activity of trafficking children, They use a certain amount of camouflage. They hide what's going on. Like the guy in San Francisco on an entirely different subject, a tech CEO heading up a company called TradeShift, who's now been outed because he's accused by one of his former assistants who worked for him and was abused, allegedly, by him uh, for years, that she was forced to sign a slave contract, and it actually says slave contract. Some of the evidence that's been introduced in court against a guy by the name of Christian Lang, uh, the company had a valuation five years ago of $1.1 billion, and this young lady who worked for this guy, uh, Christian Lang, says that she was the subject of years of rape and sexual abuse and torture and assault, and that she was forced to sign a slave contract that she complained to the Human Relations Department and got nothing out of it. 
All of that going on in San Francisco. And what does that tell you about how sick parts of our society have become? Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out my Instagram feed. Yeah, I've got a face for radio. I know that already. And be sure to tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. So whatever happened to Jack Texera? And if that name doesn't ring a bell with you, it should. Jack Texera, about one and a half years, uh, no, about a half a year ago, about April of this year, Jack Texera gets raided by the FBI. They go in and they take him into custody and they spirit him off. He was in the 102nd Intelligence Wing of the Massachusetts Air National Guard. And at the time, a lot of us wondered, what in the world is going on here? Why are they so concerned about this guy? He was alleged to have removed and disclosed hundreds of classified Pentagon documents. And you think, well, uh, a lot of that was going on at the time. We were talking about Donald Trump, classified documents and all that. We had no idea exactly what it was that Jack Texera had stolen, where the information had gone. Well, it turns out there's a really interesting story behind this. And it relates very much to something that's actually going to keep the U.S. Senate in session this coming Monday. And you say, you mean the Senate isn't breaking to go home for Christmas for a few weeks? You know, the kind of almost no-show job working on Capitol Hill as a congressman or a senator where they, they only work about one day a week. And then they take these gigantic breaks around holiday times. Why are they staying till Monday? They're staying till Monday to vote on aid to Ukraine. $61 billion. And the Democrats are just about beside themselves saying, we have to pass aid to Ukraine. And the Republicans have said, look, you're not even guarding our southern border. We've got millions of illegal aliens that are flooding the country, causing all kinds of damage to the United States. And you're worried about sending more tens of billions of dollars to the corrupt country of Ukraine. Well, now we get a little bit of a hint as to why the information allegedly, and I think we could say it was taken by Jack Texera, why did they stage an FBI raid? Because it threatens President Joe Biden and his political future. Let me tell you what's going on, and I want to give full and lavish credit to a great journalist, you've heard him on the show before, Matt Taibbi. Matt Taibbi is, a, I think, a brilliant journalist. Personally, he's kind of a liberal, uh, but he, he actually is a good journalist in that he doesn't let his personal politics leak into the stories. So here's what he wrote today that, that I think spells out why the information taken by Jack Texera and then leaked a member of the National Guard and the FBI is raiding him. He says last week, Racket, which is one of the publications Taibbi writes for, published lying was the only plan Biden ever had in Ukraine. Why did he write that? 
because he says Joe Biden, a national security spokesman, John Kirby, declared Ukraine would be overrun and lose the war if Congress did not immediately pass a $61 billion Ukraine aid package. And he says, after years of cheerleading, the abrupt proclamation I wrote lifted the veil on years of untrammeled and proud and yet ultimately purposeless and sociopathic lying by the Biden administration. And why would Taibbi write that? He said this week, the Washington Post published almost exactly the same story, chronicling the same succession of rosy assessments about Ukraine. So the White House and the Pentagon said, oh, we're going to beat the Russians. We're going to make a success for Ukraine, except that was what they were saying publicly. What were they saying privately? Now, here's what happened. He says U.S. officials, as the Washington Post wrote, were furious about the leaks that exposed their concerns about the Ukraine war. Why? Because in public, they were saying, we have to help Ukraine. We're going to beat Russia. It's going well, et cetera, et cetera. But behind the scenes, those very same people at the White House and at the Pentagon were saying something completely different. Because, as Taibbi writes, earlier this year, while America was resupplying Ukraine in preparation for a major counteroffensive, and by the way, I might point out, that major counteroffensive went almost exactly nowhere. He says the Pentagon sprang a leak. While U.S. officials have been making one confident prediction after another, the secret intelligence documents had slipped into public view, thanks to Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack Taxera, showed a, quote, catastrophic situation that was, quote, grinding toward a stalemate and, quote, a protracted war beyond 2023. Now, that's not what you've been hearing in public from Joe Biden, nor from the Pentagon. Now, if you're being told a set of lies by Joe Biden and the White House and the Pentagon, but privately they know it's nothing but bad news, but they're not going to tell you stupid taxpayers. They're going to tell you, shut up, work hard, pay your taxes. It's none of your business. And here's what Taibbi wrote that I thought put it right on point. If Texera hadn't let slip that officials were freaking out in private, about Ukraine's prospects, members of Congress might not have been emboldened to filibuster Joe Biden's spending bill as they did last week. In other words, when the Congress knows what's really going on, not just the, 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 well, the crap that the White House is shoveling out, they say, hold on a second. We're not going to vote for this $61 billion. You're telling us publicly it's going well, and privately, you yourself know that it's not. He says, therefore, learning the truth was bad, and we can blame the leaks, not the factory-produced river of hogwash dumped on the world for the last 22 months for the dilemma that now faces Biden in Ukraine. He says, it takes real gall to play victim over the Pentagon leaks now after the Capitol media served up a complete walk on the story the first time when Texera and his documents were chased down in a Minecraft chat by Bellingcat Snoop. The White House press played it like the Hunter Biden laptop, you know, something illegitimate. Suppress it. Not only did papers like The New York Times help deliver Texera to the authorities. I mean, ordinarily, I can tell you this as a reporter, when somebody comes to you and says, look, I can leak you some information about what's really going on, whether it's at City Hall or at the State House or in the Congress or in the Pentagon. You say, OK, I'd like to hear the information. What did The New York Times do? They said this guy, Czech Texera, says the Ukraine war is going going bad. 
and the Pentagon knows it and the White House knows it. That is exactly the kind of story that the New York Times and others usually jump on with both feet. But in this case, they said, no, no, we don't want to hear about it because that makes it look bad for Joe. So instead, they deliver him up to the FBI. And then there were stories written saying, stop calling it a leak, denouncing Texera as a white supremacist, a self-serving nihilistic thief. Now, ordinarily, I mean, the New York Times is famous for going out and writing stories about classified information and revealing secrets that I would argue and have argued have been tremendously damaging to the United States. Is it damaging if you know that Ukraine isn't going well, the Pentagon knows it isn't going well, the White House knows it isn't going well, but they're telling an entirely different story to you and me, the taxpayers and the citizens of the United States? I mean, whether I agree with people stealing documents and leaking them or not, I don't. I don't agree with that. Countries need secrets. Companies need secrets. Even families have secrets, and I've pointed that out to people. And so when somebody violates that, it's not good. But in this case, when you've got information about what's really going on in Ukraine, and you got the U.S. Congress deciding whether or not to send another $61 billion to a losing proposition in a corrupt country like Ukraine, that information becomes absolutely essential. Glad to be with you. Always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our X poll. You'll find it at Lars Larson Show. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Authors, experts, and a healthy dose of opinion. Find it at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Does it concern you that the Internal Revenue Service, one of the most hated federal agencies ever in the United States, owns six million rounds of ammunition? That is one million rounds more than they had in the last public figures released in 2018. And the guy who knows about those numbers, because we've talked about it before, is our friend Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform. Grover, welcome back. And I know we have to let you go early, but... How is it that the IRS thinks it needs literally millions of rounds of ammunition for its agents? Why do they think they need six million rounds when fewer than 5,000 IRS agents uh, are qualified to use a gun or have the authority to use a gun? And we know from the inspector generals looking at the IRS in the past that half the time that a gun goes off in the hands of an IRS agent, it's by mistake. Okay. They half? Three million. No, no, half. just, just, it's just put half. a punctuation point on that. Tell you half the time they actually fire a bullet, they fire, they're Barney fifing it? Yes, more than half, actually. It's more than half. Uh, and they do have some requirements about, you know, practicing and so on, but they don't actually live up to them. So they're written down, but the inspector general found they don't actually do the practice and things that, you might want to do to stop shooting other people in the foot. You, so you mean the things that every single police agency in America does on a routine basis? 
Uh, you know, I, I've known so many cops that said, yeah, Saturday I got to qualify, so I need to go down to the range, practice a little bit because I need to qualify. They're not doing that? They're not. Every Everyone who wants to go become a hunter. <laughs> I mean, these are the things you learn, but IRS agents don't. So the $6 million is for about 5,000 people, unless they plan to arm more of them, but they haven't told us that yet. The other thing that's odd, scary, about the six million is the Republicans have been asking for the number. How many bullets do you guys have for years? Uh, and Daniel Werfel, who runs it, he's uh, Biden's choice to run the IRS, which gives you some information about him. Um, he lied to Congress and said, we don't know. I can't get that. I'll get that for you later. I'll never give it to you. Uh, and then it was handed to tax notes, which is a press operation. But very few people read tax notes. It's just for the cognoscenti, for, for people who care deeply about different tax things. So he could say, oh, it's public information behind a paywall um, for a not very well read publication. But he, knowing what the number was, he refused to tell Congress, run by Republicans, what was going on and lied to them on behalf of Biden to hide the amount of ammunition. So why did he lie? Why did he hide it? Why did he leak it to a, a press thing that nobody would see? He thought it did get out. But you haven't seen this on the front page of The New York Times. It's not well known, even though it's technically in one newspaper, one place. Well, and, and the problem I've got with the Republicans, especially Grover, because I'm a Republican still, although I'm very frustrated with the party, but I'm first a conservative. Why don't the Republicans act in the in the form of saying we're going to vote to hold you in contempt? You come in here, you lie to us about something significant and so, something minor that should be, you know, at the fingertips of anybody running an agency. How many rounds of ammunition do you have? You've probably got a whole department that does nothing but keep inventory of what the IRS owns, the buildings, the desks, the computers, everything, cars, whatever it is they own. Um, and you can't get us that number. The head of the agency can't pick up the phone and get it. And then we find out you knew it anyway. You lied to us. Does Congress, did the Republicans even believe in bringing consequences for that kind of stuff? Because the more you let agency chiefs lie to Congress, the more they think they can get away with it. And they do. It's a very interesting question. I don't understand why you don't go to, you applied, you broke the law, you committed perjury. Uh, now, maybe the Department of Justice under Biden is not anxious to actually pursue that. Uh, Congress yeah. can't well, there is people, that. Yeah. but the Department of Justice may be the people you have to go through. And in an honest, honorable, nonpartisan Department of Justice, you might have a shot at it. But with Mr. Uh, oh, for heaven's sake, what's the guy's name? Uh, Garland, right? Yeah, um, Merrick Garland. The, the Merrick Garland. Uh, I think he's the most political person we've had in that position in decades, and he just doesn't care what the law is. He's a political well, activist. But 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 let me. You've been on. You spent more most of your life on Capitol Hill, Grover. What I don't understand yeah. is, you know, I apply the same uh, you know uh, solution to local problems. If the DA won't prosecute, let the police department just pile up charged individuals. And and when the D.A. says, but I'm not going to actually bring the charge like Merrick Garland, as you predict, would not. And I agree he won't do it. But you say we've referred 50 people to Merrick Garland and here's the list and here's what they lied about. And these are the people Merrick Garland will not call to account. Then that begins to, to solve another problem, which is put pressure. Now, Mer maybe Merrick Garland is capable of ignoring it. 
But if the mainstream media had to report, well, the attorney general has had 50 different agency officials or, you know, Biden apparatchiks who've been referred for contempt of Congress. And here's the list of lies they told. And Garland won't go after one of them. Then you begin to put pressure on Garland. But as long as Garland knows the Republicans won't even make the referral, isn't there a point to making the the referral for, you know, perjury and, and then say, well, here are the 20 or 30 or 50 that he won't call up for perjury, even though they committed perjury. And here's the proof they commit per, committed perjury. Doesn't that have the potential to start solving the problem? I think it does. That makes tremendous sense to me. Now, Washington doesn't always make sense. But what I'm going to do uh, later tonight is call over and ask just that question and see if I get an answer that explains why it doesn't happen. Or perhaps uh, I should nudge them more often to encourage them to do that. Now, they may think, look, nobody cares, nobody's paying attention. But I think your view that if we piled up 30 or 40 of these things, they'd begin to stink. And well, even and, the New York and, Times might have know, to notice it. Think about this on the local level, because we've got this problem on the local level around America. You've got police departments say, well, we can't arrest and charge people because the DA won't prosecute them. Say, then stack it up. And then and then have the chief hold a press conference and say, you know what? We've referred a thousand people on criminal charges. The D.A., only 20 of them got prosecuted to the public. That begins to say, hold on a second. You gave him a thousand arrested criminals and he he prosecuted 20. You know, that that begins to tell a story. But it's almost like the Republicans are in on it saying, yeah, he's not going to he's not going to go after him so we just won't even refer them well then you're doing garland a tremendous favor you're you're making him look clean yeah no i I think you have a very good question i think it's a good strategy i will push and find out if there's something that you and i are missing or whether they just don't think there's they need the encouragement to to do this and you know our commitment to them is say we'll cover it we'll highlight it you know do it and uh we'll make sure the world knows about it so i i will be working on just this. I think that makes a great deal of sense. Well, I appreciate it. And by the way, all these federal agencies, not just the IRS, but all the agencies that have been arming up, I mean, automatic weapons, semi-automatic weapons, pistols, rifles, shotguns, the whole nine yards, and you wonder, how often does the IRS ever go out on a raid where they couldn't have local law enforcement, sheriffs, police, the U.S. Marshals, the FBI, other agencies that actually should be armed with them? I'll bet, I'll bet they have a very rare occasion that they actually need to have their own agents armed. Am I right? I, I think you're right. And I'm actually supporting uh, legislation being pushed that would say no guns for the IRS or other enforcement agencies. That if you have a problem that you absolutely believe you need a guy with a gun to walk in the front door, call the local police, uh, call the FBI, ask their professionals. Uh, they're less likely to have your political biases uh, so that they're more likely to ask, why are we doing this again? I think they're, you know uh, what I, they're I doing think- it for, Grover? They want to scare the daylights out of citizens. And they always know that a man or woman armed with a gun is a whole lot scarier than a guy with a calculator and a green eye shade. Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform, back in a moment. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and vote in our Twitter poll. You'll find a brand new question each and every day. We write it from the news of the day. Sometimes I do it. Sometimes my producers do it. You can find it at Lars Larson Show on Twitter or X if you prefer. Or you can find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Back in just a moment.
Lars Larson Show. Only one in five people with disabilities... Source for real red meat radio, the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. It uh, really is. And if you want to join the conversation, it's eight six six. Hey Lars, I gotta uh, I gotta confess uh, because I always try to be transparent with you and admit my biases up front, so you know where I'm coming from. I can't stand Mitt Romney, and I wish he were out of the United States Senate. So. If I approach an interview with Carolyn Fippen, who's running to replace Mitt Romney in the U.S. Senate for the state of Utah, Ms. Fippen, you have to understand, I can't stand the guy. I, I, I barely tolerated him as a presidential candidate, and that only because the alternative was worse, Obama. And, uh, and so I'd be glad to see Mitt Romney replaced. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm, t- I'm telling you, it is time for Utah to have another strong conservative in the U.S. Senate. There's no reason that a conservative state like Utah uh, continues to elect people who don't really align with our values. But and why do that? Do you, do you have any insight, Ms. Fippen, as to why? And, and by the way, we'll get your website in a second, because I always make sure candidate <laughs> websites get, get mentioned, even if we ever got a Democrat to come on. If I were a Democrat running for office, I'd call every conservative talk show in America. But <laughs> a, apparently they don't have the guts to do that because they'd have to answer uncomfortable questions. But how is it yeah. that a state like Utah, that at least uh, on paper appears to be a somewhat conservative state, manages to send people like Mittens Romney back to the U.S. Senate. Yeah, I'm telling you, I think, so I grew up in New York. I've been in Utah for 35 years, my entire adult life. And I have consistently asked this question. It doesn't make sense. It has a lot to do with our culture of niceness. And I think when people say the right words, oftentimes, we need to be very trusting and assume that we ought to be able to trust each other. And the fact of the matter is, I think we're at a point where we shouldn't trust the words of any politician. What is it that Reagan said? Trust but verify. Yep. Right. We are responsible for asking the right questions of those people who are running to represent us. I spent years working for Senator Mike Lee. I understand. I love Mike Lee. Right? I think he's a good, good man. Uh, you know what? He was amazing to work for, and I consider him a good friend. And it's not easy. Our, our media here, I was told in the last election, I was told this by somebody in California, that they did an analysis of the media in our state of Utah, and the stories about Mike Lee were six stories, six negative, every one positive. That is probably one of our biggest problems. But he was generally nice guy because Ms. Fippen, uh, by the way, tell people where to find your website because I want them to help you out in this, in this, you know, because it's going to yeah. be tough going up against an incumbent, even yeah. a nitwit who says he won't support President Trump if he gets the Republican nomination. Where can they find your website? Yeah. So, and I'll tell you this. That, well, carolynforsenate.com and that's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N for Senate.com. And he, has decided not to run again, but there are a couple of candidates who look just like him, 
just like him. You and mean more, more, uh, uh, more establishment or rhino Republicans? And sorry, yep. thank you for correcting that mistake, because yeah. I... You know, I should have been celebrating for at least a week after he announced he wasn't going to seek re-election. But, I, you know, and, and here's the thing. I mean, I can't even imagine being Mike Lee, because being Mike Lee with Mitt Romney as the other U.S. senator would be like putting me on a on a talk show with Rachel Maddow as my as my co-host. I'd say, well, look, I'm sure she's a perfectly nice lady, but I can't tolerate anything that comes out of her mouth. So. Uh, but but Lee yeah. Lee was a generally nice guy. I mean, no mean tweets, no orange hair. What what's not to like about Mike Lee? How could they dislike the guy so much? Yeah, well, you know what? It's because they don't like his politics. The media tends to be against conservatives always, right? And so they'll always find something that they can go after an individual for if they're a conservative. And they claim that they're going after them for something other than their policy and politics. And people, if they're not paying attention deeply, that I just think a lot of people get confused. They're busy living their lives. The fact of the matter is I have talked to so many people, even just today, uh, who they're starting to feel the impact of these of Biden inflation. Right. And people are doing all that they can to just survive right now. So I I think although the, the upside is they're starting to recognize that maybe there could be a tie in between the politics they support and the policies that we get and the impact on their lives. Like, I'm just hoping that more people start to realize that there's a relationship there and it's a strong one. Well, you know what I'd like to see? Uh, and, and maybe you'll do this, maybe you won't. But I want to see the Congress actually do its job. I mean, just today I was talking about why doesn't the House vote to say refer people who've lied to them to the DOJ, yeah. you know, and and say we're referring them for perjury. And and I have people say, well, but, you know, Merrick Garland won't do anything with it. I said, fine, let those things stack up, mm-hmm. make 50 referrals, Mayorkas, you know, go right down the list <clears throat> of all these thoroughgoing liars who sat right in front of Congress, lied under oath. It's a crime. Refer it to uh, to uh uh, to to Garland, and when he says, I'm not going to prosecute them, well, we knew you weren't, but what we're going to do is we're going to start telling the American people, we're holding a press conference, we've referred 50 liars to Merrick Garland for perjuring themselves in front of the Congress, and he hasn't prosecuted one of them, here are the liars' names, here are the lies they told, and here are the referrals, except the Republicans decide to be, as you said, nice, like Utah, nice, uh, we're not going to make the referral because Garland won't do anything with it. I don't care if he does. I do care if he does something with it. But even if I know he's not going to do something with it, let those things pile up at his doorstep and then tell Americans we've referred 30 liars to Merrick Garland. He won't prosecute one of them. And then you ask yourself as an American, is that right? But the House won't do it. And the Senate often won't take votes on things. You know, I know the Democrats, yep. you know, have this bare majority over there, but but take some votes, force them to take a position. And that's not just Democrats, but Republican rhinos as well. Are, do you really stand yeah. for these things or not? Let's take a vote. Isn't that what Congress is supposed to do? Yeah, that would be nice. I say all the time that one of the biggest problems that we have as conservatives is that because we know that we're correct on the principle that we forget that strategy matters, right? We can be right all day long, but if we don't have a good strategy, and that strategy includes getting the message out to the American people and doing it in a way that's visible and that allows us to go around a media that hates us, 
if we don't have a strategy, we're going to fail anyway, all day long, even if the majority of Americans agree with us. So we've got to be smarter about the way we do things. And I'm afraid that we have had too many leaders in Washington for too long who are willing to just go along to make whatever deals for whatever reason. And until we start electing different kind of people, we will continue to get the same kinds of debt uh, flooding across our southern border, inflation. I mean, we could make a list of the problems. We will continue to see the same kind of destruction of this nation until we elect people who are not going back to Washington to make friends. The other thing I'd love to see U.S. Senator do, Ms. Fippen, is when Joe Biden comes up, if he ever does, with his replacement for Obama's deal with Iran, and he tries to just do a deal unilaterally, with the, which the Constitution does not envision, that the Senate would pay, take it up under a Republican majority and say, we're going to vote on this as a treaty. Sorry, Mr. President, your treaty failed. Oh, and by the way, these other deals you're making with the WHO or the UN or anybody else, uh, those are treaties. We know they're treaties. You may not call it a treaty. The Constitution calls it a treaty. We're going to vote on it. Ah, we voted on it. Sorry, Mr. President, all of your treaties failed. Now, I don't know if it'll have a legal effect. But the point is, the president is not authorized to make deals with other countries without Senate ratification. And the Senate just says, no, we're not going to vote on it because he didn't call it a treaty, so it's not a treaty. Ms. Fippen, say your website one more time, please. Yeah, thank you. It's carolynforsenate.com, please. Very good. It's carolynforsenate.com. Back in a moment. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Honesty, whether you like it or not, with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Well, Christmas is about as political this year as it's ever been. And there are at least two examples I want to put in front of you, including the mayor of Boston, who really stepped in it the other day. You've probably already heard about that, but I want to give you some details that make it even more interesting. And then I have to get to Joe Jill Biden's, I almost said Joe, Jill Biden's anti-white Christmas video. It is one of the most bizarre videos I've ever seen, and it's about a subject that you would expect to be a very easy thing to do. I mean, there have been first ladies showing off the White House for a long, long time. Uh, Jackie Kennedy, famously, Michelle, uh, let's see, Michelle Obama. Well, I, I didn't think so much of Michelle Obama and her husband, um, but Melania Trump did a fantastic job in calling out the decorations for the White House. She's very classy. Then you have the Bidens. And the Bidens are a piece of work. But let me get to that a little bit later. It involves a video, and we're going to put the video up on my website at LarsLarson.com. We'll post it on social media as well if you haven't already seen it. It is bizarre. In fact, one description of it said it was Walt Disney Presents meets A Clockwork Orange, if that brings anything to mind. But let me start with Michelle Wu, who is the current mayor of Boston, and she really stepped in it. Now, 
I'll give you the details, but if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's always right here, every single day, at Lars Larson Show. And you can find, uh, you can join the conversation by calling 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll, as I said, at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find that question on our website. Please just vote once if you don't mind. Now, about Michelle Wu, who, as you guessed, might be a person of color, although that gets us into an entirely different discussion, because these days the woke crowd will tell you that Asians are not part of that POC category. It's BIPOC, but it doesn't necessarily include Asians. Now, I didn't invent these rules. The woke folks invented these crazy rules. So what does Michelle Wu do? Well, she's the mayor of Boston. She decides to host a Christmas holiday party as though you're talking to all those people out there who don't understand that Christmas is both religiously significant for many, many Americans, about 85 percent of Americans. Uh, but it's also uh, uh, the uh, federal holiday. So you have to call it a Christmas holiday party. But what she did was she sent out an invitation to a party that was exclusively for what she called electeds of color, meaning people on the Boston City Council who were people of color, except she made a mistake. She goofed big time. Have you ever sent an email to somebody you didn't intend to send an email to? I'd plead guilty. Uh, I've had it happen. I've, I've received emails, you know, that I clearly... Uh, was not intended to get nothing especially crazy, but I've had emails come from folks who are asking all kinds of questions. I'm clearly included in some kind of group, and I write back and I say, did you intend to send this to me? And they admit, oh, no, my email system accidentally, when I typed Lars, uh, put, put the email address in that was supposed to be Larry, and it turned out to be Lars. So anyway, an aide to the mayor, so apparently the mayor decided not to take responsibility at her, for it herself. She threw a staff member under the, under the bus. An aide to the mayor accidentally emailed the white people need not come holiday party invite to the entire city council. Well, the Democrat mayor invited the uh, electeds of color, her invitation for December the 13th, so last night, to an electeds of color holiday party was sent out to all the city council members, 15 minutes later, the staff member sent out an email apologizing for the invite, clarifying that it was only meant for the six people of color on the city council. The seven white council members were not welcome to come, which makes it even more awkward. Now, imagine this. This is the kind of craziness that we're in. Instead of saying Christi uh, you know, Christmas is a holiday that is about every single person in the world. And if you're a person of faith, and especially if you've read the book, my wife and I read from the book almost every single night. Maybe some of you do, maybe some of you don't. But if you're a person of the book, you understand that Jesus' invitation to faith in God and in Jesus Christ was to all people. He didn't care what color you were. In fact, an awful lot of people in his neck of the woods in the 33 years he was alive were people of color by today's definition. And yet, somehow, politicians, especially in liberal places like Boston, have decided they got to play the color game, and they got to draw these lines. Just the other day, 
and I think this relates, I saw a major Democrat Party fundraiser who happens to be a black American announced that he was leaving the Democrat Party and he was no longer going to raise funds. He'd been a fundraiser for the Democrat Party and for Democrats individually. But he said, I'm leaving. The Democrat Party is divisive, meaning they split us all up. You see, I've always had that conclusion that the Democrats believe in dividing people up and pigeonholing you into a little box somewhere. Dividing people up that way is not reminding them that they are Americans. And it certainly has absolutely nothing to do with your faith. Now, let me get to Jill Biden's crazy Christmas video. The group that created the viral Biden Christmas video, and this is a, a great tweet about it, has been identified as a radical anti-white group that call themselves Dorrance Dance. And in fact, uh, producer Joel, uh, Joel's a great producer, along with Donovan and McKenzie on this program, he pointed out that he went to their website, This the very next page after the opening page talks about anti-racism, which sounds good on paper, it really isn't. Uh, because this is a website that talks about, it quotes Angela Davis, the Marxist, it talks about defunding the police, it calls for abolishing prisons, and it's a dance group, Doran's Dance. So the Bidens invite this group to come in, and they made one of the weirdest videos that I've ever seen. And the White House looks absolutely bizarre. I would have to agree with that assessment. Somebody made it on Twitter, uh, calling the White House something like Disney Presents Meets uh, Cl a Clockwork Orange, which is a horrific movie from decades ago. But it's absolutely bizarre. It had nothing to do, seemingly, with showing off the White House with nice decorations for the holiday season. Instead, it was all about uh, signaling virtue for the Bidens. So they could say, well, we invited this large, predominantly black uh, dance group to come in, a dance group that believes in defunding the police and quoting Marxists and abolishing prisons and all the correct things on the left side of the aisle, and merging this with some kind of Christmas message. We're going to post the video. I don't think I can do justice to describing it. You've got to take a look at it and then ask yourself, is that the way you like the White House looking? Is that the way you want Christmas and Christmas decorations to be presented in the People's House in Washington, D.C.? Or would you rather have, say, the White House of Melania Trump, which looked classy and beautiful and uh, wasn't trying to push any political agendas at all? Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll. Check out my Instagram feed and on social media as well. The Lars Larson Show.